Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Hi, and welcome all of our friends who are joining us for another session of the Pre-Med Office Hours, where we answer your questions live in this session. My name is Courtney Lewis. I will be, I guess, moderating for this session. And I am a prior director of admissions in uh, from a med school in New Mexico. And this will be my first cycle, not matriculating students, but I'm excited about match day coming up in just a couple of weeks from now and getting to see where some of my prior students are going. I am joined by our co-founder of MAPT, Miss Rachel Grubbs. Hello, Rachel. I have a window open, so I'm getting like the strategic you Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> Got that supermodel glow going on. <laughs> uh, hi, friends. It me. I'm here to give pre-med advice and also channel my inner Celine. Yeah, well, and you need the fan because apparently it's very warm there. It's crazy warm. It's not, this, this is not what Ohio in February is meant to be. Yeah, yeah, well... Seattle's getting sunshine too, so the world must be ending here sometime soon. <laughs> and it all lasts. Yep. And we also have Dr. Wright with us. Hello, Dr. Wright. What Hello, is the weather you, like can, where you can are? Can you tell that my fan is on too? I'm blowing <laughs> in the breeze. Your as lustrous well. locks. Right. <laughs> Do that head shake. Just want to make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm doing really well. I'm excited about uh, today and answering all these questions and. Uh, uh, also excited about the work that we're doing with students in this current cycle and both in last cycle, a lot of them are still getting in and stuff like that. And then mm -hmm. in this coming cycle, getting everybody ready and boy, it's, these are exciting days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we hope that some of you, you don't just, you know, once you get in, we still want to hear from you. You know, Absolutely. we want the updates. Yeah. We want the emails. We yeah. want to um celebrate with you so hopefully you're still logging on to join us but we'll go yeah. to the live questions so no matter what platform you're on go ahead and send them our way and we will try to get to them while we're here okay so Jawad, i used to be a scribe but failed due to slow typing i then became a patient sitter where i have been since june 2022 should i continue with the sitter job until june 2023 or can i jump ship to scribe, thanks. Um, so, who wants to take hmm. this one? Because it seems the jumping ship to scribe has something changed in the meantime, or mm -hmm. is it a different scribe company? Would be my first question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jawad did do this follow up too. I missed how intellectually stimulating a scribe was in being with a physician. That's why I asked. Got it. Well, mm. Slightly, viewed slightly differently, right? Depending on what school and and what the admissions committee is seeing, um, I hear mixed reviews on Scribe. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, you know, Scribing is often yeah, Scribing is very uh, passive uh, in terms of clinical activities. You know, it kind of depends 
on the physician that you're with um, mm -hmm. in terms of how that might play out, uh, how engaged they are with you and how engaged they make you with the patient. So a lot of times it's just very passive. And so um, I, uh, I, I understand the intellectual stimulation part of it, and, and I certainly don't discourage uh, Jawad from doing what you what you suggested, but uh, I would say think carefully about you know, what you're looking for. If you're just looking for intellectual stimulation, that thing, my, my thing is you also need to look looking for motivation and you need to be looking for this patient contact and stuff. Yeah. Is he choppy for you as well, Rachel? Yeah, Scott's. Okay. I, mean, I, I think I picked up what he was laying down, but the yeah. audio was in and out a little bit. Um, I know that that he was. Or yeah, I guess let me. Right. I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to reboot. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. going to try to reboot. Yeah, and so okay. I think this was part of what Jawad was saying, but I'll sort of, or what Scott was saying, and I'll sort of chime in is like. If you like scribing, I, I like scribing. As, as people said, sometimes it's like slightly divisive as clinical because it is essentially mm -hmm. shadowing on steroids. Mm -hmm. I still think it should count as clinical even though it's passive just because it's such great exposure. So that part, if, if you think you're a faster, better typer now and you wanna be a scribe, go for it. What makes me slightly nervous is you're saying that you miss how intellectually stimulating it was, you miss with being with a physician, Again, you don't have a lot of space here to comment. You don't have to answer me. But what I'm wondering is, like, are you not liking hanging out with patients? Because if that's the case, that's a bigger, deeper question you need to reflect on, right? Because uh, doctors don't spend all day talking to doctors on, like, Grey's Anatomy might have you believe, right? Like, <laughs> the, you know, like... I mean, Shonda, I've seen Shonda interview. She was like, the whole point is the residents are selfish. They make all the problems about them. You know, like she understands that's not how real life physicians are supposed to behave. And, you know, so I just, I just think you need to do a little soul searching on that. You want to change up your scribe or your clinical experience, go for it. I just want to make sure that you also like the patient part because that's what life will be like after this. <laughs> Agreed. And and being a patient sitter, I know you're somewhat limited in, you know, the types of discussions that you can have, but there should be some um, where you're where you're interacting with the patient and, and not just sitting there. But I think, um, you know, it's up to you and what you want to do. And if something has changed to where you could pick up another job and it doesn't your record doesn't show that you're hopping from one to the next um, pretty often then I pick your path, right? It's pick your journey. What is going to provide you with um, what you feel you need uh, to, to move forward? Yeah, great. Next question, if we have one. Okay, Jacob, do you think it is worth applying to medical school with a sub 500 MCAT score? Mm. Wow, what a tough question. <laughs> to try to answer right now with not a lot of information to go off of. I, I can say personally, I have matriculated people with sub 500 scores and they, you know, buckled down. They did well in med school. They matched well. Um, you know, there were other things in their application that would indicate that they were going to be able to handle the rigors of medical school. And so it wasn't just looking at the MCAT score in isolation. I think 
you know, the things that we're going to look at as directors or evaluators are going to be how many times you've taken it. Is it a sub 500 and you've taken it four times? Is it just your first take? Are you still a full-time student? Was there a class missing? Are you working full-time? Kind of looking at the full and complete picture of the information that's submitted on your application will all go in to consideration with your MCAT score. Are you more competitive with a score that's above the 50 percentile? More than likely, but there are plenty of people above a 500 who don't make it into med school. So it's it's not a thing in isolation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay. You covered that well. Hopefully that helps. Okay, Carmen. Does taking care of my little brother who has some medical conditions count as clinical experience? Anybody else want to take over chatting? Mm. Scott, you want to do this and make sure your audio is good? Yeah. Um, is is this a little Much bit better? better? Much, yeah, better. Okay, Much better. Sorry about that. I, I don't know what was happening. Happens. Um, so uh, several questions that I have about taking care of your little brother. How much of your time in taking care of your little brother is dealing with these medical conditions? Uh, that would be the first question that I have. Uh, I think it, it also can you know, depending on what the medical condition is. I think that's, you know, part of the the question uh, that I would have. Um, I think that uh, another thing that uh, I wonder about is, uh, uh, is do you have any other clinical experience to supplement this uh, mm-hmm. that would be more traditional uh, in, in, the, in the orientation? So th- those are questions that I would have. Yes, it could count as clinical experience, but I think it, it definitely depends on uh, certain factors and how you describe it and what you say about it to, to help the uh, admissions committee to understand how, why you're, why you're uh, viewing this as a, as a clinical experience. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I know I've definitely seen people who have had to take on mm-hmm. care of family members and and it it can't count. Yep. All right. Alma. Hello. I'm a non-traditional student graduated in 2018. I'll be enrolled as post-bac. Given that I have a graduate degree in chemistry, how many post-bac hours do you suggest I take? Thank you. Hmm. These are some tough questions. Right. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's try to break this down. How long, these are the types of questions and maybe these will help you kind of answer the question since we may need a bit more information, but my mind, and and please feel free to input Rachel and, and Scott, my mind immediately goes to these types of questions. Okay, so if you graduated in 2018, you're enrolled as a postback, when did you do your master's? What's the time frame you're looking at? Um, if you're enrolled in a postback, is it a certificate program or is it just you're kind of piecing it together? Why are you doing a postback? If you did a graduate degree in chemistry, that leads me to believe that you have science coursework and you may just be looking for a GPA booster, but at a certain point, you're only going to be able to move the mark so far. So I'm kind of wondering what the the thought process is and why you're doing post-bac work after a master's degree from what it sounds like. Um, 
And, and what the time frame looks on on that, what you're hoping to gain? Yeah, mm -hmm. all the same questions. And Alma, I wanted to just chime in with sharing um, a screen of maps. So this is one of our demo accounts. You can see we've cleverly named it post-back demo. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a case of someone who maybe did need some post-back work uh, because you can see here, if you look at their class setting science GPA, that although freshman year they had a 3.5, then they had a 319, 3.0, did go back to 3.49 senior year, but only with like eight credits of science, right? So mm -hmm. this particular example did another 20 hours of post-back work. And I'm looking at class sitting science GAPA. So maybe they even did more hours, but it was 21 hours of science specific post-back work. Not even so much to raise the GPA probably, but just more to show, hey, yeah, I had a blip with sciences in the middle of college and I'm back on track. With you, what we're missing is what's your motivation, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, a, I think a lot of people just think a post-bac is a cure-all, right? They, they hear this myth, myth that courses expire, which is like, I understand there's a nugget of truth in that and that if you mm -hmm. haven't been a student for a very long time, med schools may worry about whether or not you have those skills, but that's not the same as courses expiring. You have a graduate degree in chemistry, like, yeah, I'm, I, I think you need to think harder about what it is you're trying to get out of the post-bac. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yep. yep. And use BEPT, because we can help you there. It's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. The Llama Squad was here a couple of months ago. I remember the name, actually, the Ooh. Llama Squad. And the fact that you don't have a llama as a llama. your profile yes, picture. I that too. Yes. <laughs> but congratulations yes. on getting into medical school. You're going to be a doctor, awesome. which is fantastic. Yay. Thank you for sharing if we that had, with us. If we were Ryan, we would have the little applause. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need some funfetti to, to fall into our screen. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, thank you for Thanks sharing for your coming back and sharing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Cool. All right, Sebastian. So this might be a weird question. Ooh, I'm ready for it. But can I put EMT experience in my activity section that wasn't in my actual EMT job, but rather a car crash that happened off duty that I helped out in? Thanks. Interesting question. Hmm. I've never heard this one. <sighs> I think yeah. I would, I think I would probably put it in the context of your EMT experience activity and maybe have it as one of your most meaningful so that you could talk about this off-duty experience. You were still an EMT, you were off-duty, mm -hmm. but you, your identity as an EMT was still there. Mm -hmm. And so I would put it within the context of that. 100%. I, my mind just got there right behind you. I think that that would be an excellent way to show how it's not only on your job, but in your free time, mm -hmm. it, it actually mm -hmm. helps and you can step up and be a first responder mm -hmm. when duty calls, even if it's outside of your job, that could be a really excellent way, I think, yep. to follow yeah. that. Yeah, so awesome. technically, yes, you can use it. Um, just like somebody who is maybe trained as a nurse, but also has to come home and take care of somebody at home, um, a family member, things like that, where they're technically not getting paid, but it is still clinical experience, very similar to the last question. So, um, but that could be a great, most meaningful experience. I agree. 
Cool. Deandra, thank you for all of your help. Should I disclose being a mother if asked, tell me about yourself, would that be seen as a disadvantage or a strength? First off, I feel very strongly about this one, even though I'm not a mother. That is a protected um, non-discrimination category. So you cannot be discriminated against if you have a family or those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is something you should feel very safe with and should yes. not be afraid to disclose. This yes. is I've had plenty of parents as students who were able mm -hmm. to balance this. This is not something that should even be in the consideration, mm -hmm. especially as a negative. Um, so that would be my yes. take on this. Yes. Feel free to disclose if you're comfortable with it. It's a, probably a huge part of your life. It's going to affect how you manage your time and go about things. I've had mothers and fathers. Dr. Wright, it sounds like you've had the same thing. Yep. Yep. This, absolutely. Yeah. This should not be something that you feel worried about disclosing yeah. and, and yeah. you are protected um, in not being discriminated against from. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I'll give you just a, a, sh a short anecdote. Uh, one year at Southwestern, we had an applicant who was a mother and uh, she actually was in her 40s. And uh, she got into the medical school and was the president of her class all four years mm -hmm. and just a star student. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, so don't at all, number one, think that this is going to be necessarily limited in terms of your ability to be successful in medical school. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge part of your identity. And if in, in that in and of itself says to me that you can't ignore it in the application process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it, you know, and they tell me about yourself, it, it would be natural to disclose that. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, and so just do it and, and don't be afraid to do that. We're, we're all understanding we have, you know, most of us probably have at least some parents in our classes already that either become parents when they are in med school or were parents before, so you're okay. Strong, strong backing in that one. Okay, Dallas, non-trad student here, currently working as a software engineer. I'm going back to school to complete my missing prereqs, biochem, et cetera. Is it worth seeking a second degree or just do the prereqs? Anybody want to take it? Yeah, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things related to this. One is that it, it's not the, the medical school is not necessarily going to care one way or another, whether you have a second degree or, or whatever, they're going to be looking at what you've done and the, the strength of the academic work that you've done. Uh, that's going to be the most important part of this, uh, of, of what you're doing and the, the accumulation of how many hours it's also going to depend a little bit on how you did originally in your coursework, in your, mm -hmm. in your engineering degree, uh, I'm assuming you've got an engineering degree. Um, uh, so that's the first thing I would say. Now, secondarily, and this is not an unimportant issue, is for financial aid at undergraduate institutions, if you're not a degree-seeking student, you don't get any financial aid. You, you're mm -hmm. not eligible for anything. Mm -hmm. And so often we have post students who declare a major uh, 
as a second degree seeking student, not with the intention of getting a degree, but that allows them, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a loophole or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but it allows you to get financial aid uh, in, in a way that where you can finance that, uh, that extra, the, the post back hours and stuff. So that's unrelated to how the admissions committee is going to view it and stuff, but it is related to your own personal you know, uh, uh, finances and stuff like that. So, uh, but in terms of uh, my feeling, Courtney, you might, I, I'd be interested on your, your thoughts on this too, is, um, is that, you know, getting a second degree or not, it is not going to be relevant to most admissions committees. Agreed. Um, I think that as somebody who is um, considered non-traditional and you're kind of going back for the prereqs, I would want to see kind of the course load that you're taking. If you're working full-time, we understand that that's going to be lower. But if you're going back to school more full-time or you're dropping down half-time work, you'd want to see a little bit higher uh, course load. If possible, we understand people have lives. But again, we're looking at all of the data points and not just one in isolation. And then how that work carries over into your MCAT, I would not, I would not take the MCAT um, before you've taken the appropriate courses and and make sure that you manage your time well and you study um, you know appropriately for that and don't just take it um, because I think a lot whether it's correct or not we don't have you know the data for this but uh, I think a lot of admissions committees will be quick to tie foundational knowledge from the prereqs into that first time MCAT take and see if there's correlation mm-hmm. in that, especially for non-trads if you're taking a smaller course load. So mm-hmm. um, I think it would be in your best interest to to go about it very strategically and methodically and, and make sure you're balancing your time well and, and your study for that. But but I agree as far as a additional agree versus just kind of piecemealing your post back together, that, that part's not going to um, be a huge component in in whether or not. But I do like the insight in that helping with financial aid. That's not something that I thought of um, that could make a pretty big difference in in how you're able to take these classes and where. All right. RM, I have wanted to go to medical school for a long time. However, I feel I should give up on this dream because my family doesn't support it and creates obstacles through various demands. Your thoughts? Um, this is your life. <laughs> um, ideally, I mean, not trying to be insensitive. Ideally, we would have the support of our family. It, it makes things a lot easier, but you're just not always going to have that. And even if you do have that for people who do have support, they don't always fully understand the demands of this path and in this journey and the academic side, the mental side, the physical side, the spiritual side. Um, so you're, you're just, you know, gonna have to rely on yourself and maybe your peers and the other support system that you could build. It doesn't have to be your family. You can make your own um, support system. And so if this is something that you want to do, if it's within your means and, and what you really wanna do, go for it. Um, it's it's going to be difficult, right? And and you may feel a little bit lonely at times and, and wish that you had more support from your family, but that doesn't mean that you'll always be without. 
Um, Rachel, I know that you are great at offering words of encouragement too in this Aww. regard. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, RM, I, I think, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have the initials RM, but I feel like you've been coming to these pre-med office hours, I think since we were calling them Ask the Dean, right? So you've been a pre-med that I've been aware of for several years. And I think this could be another RM. So it seems like you've been in this for a while and you want it. And if it's your dream, then, then yeah, you may have to do a little bit of found family work, right? Um, you may have to find some pre-meds in the pre-med hangout who are also feeling isolated from their families. And I, I know there are some, because some of them have confided in me. Obviously, I'm not going to out them. But if you guys can maybe form a little support group. Um, it's challenging because I don't know how tied your life is to your family, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if they still help you pay rent and they say, part of you having your rent covered is you have these obligations to our family that make it hard for you to be pre-med, then it gets a lot trickier, right? And I can't advise on that because there's so many if-thens. Um, mm -hmm. But to the extent that you can provide for yourself or find negotiated compromises, right? I'll take care of my little brother and sister on these days, but I need this day away at the library. And no, I can't study at home because I never get studying done at home, right? That's such right. a common issue where families are like, you just look like you're sitting in front of your computer. <laughs> you're like, I'm doing some of the hardest mental work known to humans, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to leave to go study. So I think, um, I mean, I, I'm not gonna tell you to give up your dream. I'm not, I'm not ever gonna tell anyone to give up their dream. That's your choice. Um, but yeah, you may have to try to think about breaking it down into smaller pieces, so. Mm -hmm. Yep. Maybe they don't have to support your dream, but they have to respect your time on certain days that you have to carve out for your own, right? Like, can you work yep. on those, like, smaller wins with them? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, good luck, Ariam. All right. Jonathan, what counts as a non-science letter of rec? I usually hear about English, psych, etc., but would a letter from an ERPS and... Phytochemicals. Phytochemical <laughs> nutrition class count. I wanted to make sure I was going to say that right, even though I know. <laughs> I um, yeah. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> I've never heard of that class. Um, the nutrition part, I understand. Um, and if it's more a naturalistic type class, um, mixing in herbs and chemicals for nutrition. Um, I would say, sure. Nods from Scott. Yeah, I, I'd go for it. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's not, it's not in the traditional sort of uh, hard science um, areas. And so I think, you know, I, I'd go for it probably, especially if that's somebody that knows you really well. Yeah. yeah. Because nutrition generally isn't counted in that, that right. core science GPA right. calculation if you're looking right. at how courses are categorized, which is, right. yeah. So I would say more than likely. Sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so while we're around the topic of um, letters of rec, can you guys see my oh. screen again? Um, no, wait. No, I have to actually add it. There we go. Uh, let's move Jonathan's comment just to create a little more room on the screen. Can you take that down, Veronica? Um, we do have people in the background helping us. 
yeah, a little uh, industry magic here. We're like, who's Veronica? Like, <laughs> we couldn't live without her. That's who she is. No, Why exactly. Why choose your map plan? That's not right. Oh, because it's this kid doesn't. Because I'm in post-back demo, and post-back demo doesn't have access to my LORs. <laughs> okay, so my LORs is a paid feature. But basically, um, if you sign up for Map Pro, which already includes all the amazing stuff of... Um, of free mapped plus unlimited uh, mapped app advising. So advising within the app where you're asking us with questions us. and answering. Yeah, with, with, <laughs> with your beloved Courtney and Scott and Verinia and me and Ryan. <laughs> um, but so anyway, now we also are doing um, LOR management. So this is our answer to Interfolio. You know, there are other services out there. Um, we are building this with pre-health students in mind. So it's early days. Uh, those of you that have been around Mapped and MSHQ for a while know we love to put stuff out there and iterate. So I think it's good. I think it's going to get a whole lot better. But as you're thinking about letters of rec, this is the main thing I want to communicate to you is you do not want to wait until April or May because that's when all professors get asked and they're slammed. That's already a busy time of year on top mm -hmm. of all the letter of rec requests. So mm -hmm. I strongly recommend however you're doing your letter of rec storage that you get a place to securely store them, ask sometime in, the, in this winter or early spring to give your letter writer, you know, a good three or four weeks to get back to you with a high quality letter and then securely store them until they're ready to go to the applications. And my LORs is one great way to do that. We are slowly but surely becoming the hub for you guys so that you don't have to utilize all of these different things. You figured out and my master plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with all of our years combined, you would think like, yeah, we have all dealt with all of these different pieces and all of the different nuances of the platforms. And this is going to be a lot easier for you guys. So yep. we want it. You guys want it. We're building it. We are building it. Okay. But yes, LORs. I agree. Okay, best tip for someone accepted to a research summer program. Have um, fun. <laughs> do your best. <laughs> um, it's a great experience. Do you know if if you think that you're going to need a letter of recommendation at the end of it? If this is going to be one of your science or one of your non-science letters, or you're going to need something from your mm -hmm. PI. You know, make sure that you're putting in the FaceTime, you're doing the work, you're showing up on time, you're not making a lot of silly mistakes and, and try to learn from it. If it's, you know, wet lab or bench or clinical or psych or whatever it is, try to make the most of it and good for you. That's great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I'd add is journal. Make notes so you remember yes. it. Yes, that's Do a good not one. journal about yes. Western blot, right? Like yes. when yes. you're writing research essays, we are not looking for the tiny little level of detail of your day-to-day -day wet lab experiences. We want to know what you're studying and how it's going to impact humanity. Yep. Think yep. about talking to an elderly auntie, right? Someone you love and respect, but who doesn't have science background. <laughs> how would you talk about the research to them? Yeah. That's probably how it's going to show up mm -hmm. in your application essay. Mm -hmm. and, well, and we can I was just going to say, and also journal about what your experiences are with your colleagues, with your PI, with, you know, what is this teamwork about to you? And what are you learning about the people that you're working with? Uh, yeah. that, that, that's very positive and, and beneficial as well. 
Where should they be doing all that journaling? I think Matt is probably oh, a good place. Yeah, that's one place. Yeah, right, look at that. Huh. You can also do it in a spreadsheet, in a paper notebook, whatever you want. But Map is free, and you can log your hours and do your journaling all in one place. Mm -hmm. Quick plug. Well, and and I always I've started implementing what Dr. Wright's been telling people now for a long time is make sure you get the content that's going to help you answer the what and the so what mm -hmm. when you are writing your experience descriptions, because that's what we're going to want to know when you turn in your applications and make sure that what you're journaling is going to help you in writing that little essay narrative for us so that we're getting the content that we need. Thank you for breaking that down. Dr. Wright, so that we can all utilize <laughs> that, the what and the so what right. for your experience section. Yeah. All right. So a couple of tips, a little bit better than have fun is <laughs> maybe the journaling. <laughs> I stood by have fun. Wait a minute. And thinking about letters of recommendation, those are two good tips. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that helps. Okay. All right, Renee, 49-year-old RN here with a lot of science credits, but they're older credits. I want to go back to school for either physical assistant or medical school. Help, LOL. <laughs> okay, well, very different timelines you're talking about with both of those professions and then different outcomes, right? Different roles. I'm sure as an RN, you understand a lot of the nuances of each of those different professions. So ultimately it's always gonna be up to you, but can we give her some questions to maybe ask herself to help her determine what she wants to do? This is a topic that actually comes up a lot, PA versus med school. Mm -hmm. I think Ryan, if he was on, he'd have, you know, pre-med pre years, podcast, such and such at 34 seconds. I know he's given that to me before, actually. I found it. So, oh, okay, perfect. It, yeah, yeah I, I don't have the memories like Ryan does, but I'm a real quick Googler. Um, perfect. <laughs> session so, 254. Yeah. So premedyears.com slash 254, MD versus PA. Let's talk about it with a PA to help you decide. Yep. So and that PA is our good friend, Savannah Perry. Yeah. She's great. And she's the Ryan of, yeah. <laughs> of the PA world. So you understanding kind of the differences in both the, I would say the academic journey is going to be likely pretty different um, yeah. time wise and yeah. um, you know, just the length to complete it. But then the roles on the back end are very different as well. So what's your personality, right? Do you like kind of task-oriented things where a PA, you can kind of go in, you fulfill what you need to do, you kind of move on. Um, I know task-oriented people tend to like that aspect because it's very hands-on and you're doing that. They also like that they get to jump around to different specialties, right? Mm -hmm. It's not where you go to residency, you kind of train for one particular thing and, and more than likely you stay within that realm. Um, it may kind of grow and expand in some ways, but that's kind of your your hub or your area of expertise and training. And so if you are a PA, you can kind of jump between specialties. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cost of the academics is gonna be different as well. Both mm -hmm. are 
needed and, you know, are very challenging and, you know, but if, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm going to have somebody telling me what to do forever, technically as a PA or, or a physician, there's always going to be somebody up the chain that's going to tell you what to do. So I wouldn't take that into consideration, but I agree. And I hear that a shocking amount, you know, and I'm like, what, you don't think the hospital administrator who got an MBA is going to tell you what to do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to tell you how many patients they want you to see, how many RVUs and (laughs) you know, how they're going to do protocol and HR is going to tell you stuff or it's going to be the politicians that don't have medical background training that are going to change um, something in the state that will trickle down and affect you. So that that maybe isn't something to, to take into consideration because it's going to be that. But depth of knowledge, academics, funding, timeline, anything else? I would just say, keep in mind that the the pattern of experience to school is different, right? So sometimes people forget that to get into PA school, you're expected to have much more substantial clinical experience and a much Mm -hmm. more robust list of prerequisite courses fulfilled. Now, Renee, you've shared your 49-year-old RN, so it sounds like you have tons and tons of clinical already, so that's excellent, that's going to help you, but... Um, the physician assistant schooling is shorter in some respects than the MDDO schooling. So they expect you to come to the table with more courses already taken. A lot of med schools recommend anatomy, but don't require it. Almost all PA schools require anatomy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and again, I don't think this is a right, wrong thing, but just keep in mind, like, MD or DO, you get that degree and then you're a resident and you're working, but you're still training. And that's where a lot of the practical learning comes, where with PA, there's an expectation of coming with lots of clinical experience, coming with more robust upper level undergraduate sciences. So it just sort of changes the flow of is it is it some on the job training and then school and then more work? Or is it with med, there's some clinical, but, you know, that's a little bit more gray for med schools where it's school and then a lot of official clinical on the job training. So you just have to keep in mind that the flow is different. And I think people sometimes forget that to apply to PA school, you actually have to have a lot more prereqs fulfilled. Yeah, they're each competitive in their own right. Yes. And and a lot of people want to do both of them. So don't think one is going to be easier than the other. Um, But hopefully that helps kind of what to reflect on and and get you to where you're going to be able to answer that because it's an important question and it's one that you're going to need to make um, Mm -hmm. to distinguish between the two paths because at some point they do diverge. So, okay, let's do next question. We can fit in a couple more here. Michael repeated my EC writing feedback is, what skills did you learn that you will carry into being a physician or Talk how this will help me as a future physician. Should I follow this advice? Unsure. (laughs) The advice for all from accepted students matriculating this fall. Okay. Sometimes they know the back end and sometimes they don't. Um, 
So EC is extracurriculars for those that are not understanding that abbreviation. So repeated in my extracurricular writing feedback is, what skills did you learn that you will carry into being a physician or talk how this will help me as a future physician? So I definitely wanna let one of our directors of admissions answer this, but I'm gonna quickly tackle this just from a medical school headquarters, you know, co-owner and advisor standpoint, which is no one in the pre-med advising business should be so arrogant as to think they have the lock on the only way to help you get into med school. <laughs> Right. So what you're describing here does not align with my philosophy or Ryan's philosophy. And we tend to hire people who agree with our philosophies and those big things. Right. Like we want diverse, diverse of answers we, um, or diverse answers. We want dissent because dissent leads to growth and passion and better, better outcomes for students. Mostly we believe in storytelling, not not skills. Right. So coming to us, that's probably not advice we'd offer, but that's not actually what you asked. You asked, should I follow this advice? I can't tell you that, man. <laughs> right? Like you could ask 10 advisors and you might not get 10 answers, but you might get six or seven different answers. Mm -hmm. I would not try to follow everyone's advice. So ultimately, right. and I'm saying this again, I want to, I want to defer to the directors of admissions, but just as someone who's like created a company around a certain advising philosophy, you do not have to follow our advice if you don't like it. Right. Ultimately, it's your application. Uh, but we're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. Yeah. yeah and I would say <laughs> I, I would add to that that I think that one of the things that, Michael, you need to consider here is are, are you talking about the idea of doing that on every one of your ECs? And if you do that, then it's going to sound contrived at some point mm -hmm. or another. It's going to sound, you know, if you're trying to say that you played baseball and you try to, you know, and, and maybe a hobby that you play the guitar and how that applies to somehow that skill of playing the guitar applies to, you know, your your future as a, uh, as a physician. I mean, at, at some point this breaks down and it sounds ridiculous. It and does. so... So I think you have to, <clears throat> it, it makes sense to do that in some things, perhaps we don't really support the notion that everything has to always apply back to medicine. Uh, if you did something and you did it for pleasure, or even if you did a volunteer experience in a soup kitchen or something, it doesn't always have to have some applicable uh, connection to your uh, future as a physician. That's not necessarily what the medical schools are, are going to, that's not an expectation that they're going to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I 100% agree. And I almost don't want to see you try to work everything back into your path to physician, because then it seems a little self-serving. Like you're not just serving to serve, or you're not just doing things for yourself, you're doing things in a calculated way, always with um, a focus on on that, not just having a well-rounded sense of, of self or things that you're involved in. And, and we tend to like people that, that have, you know, a little bit of variance in, in their interests and things that they do mm -hmm. to self-soothe and mm -hmm. um, step away from academics or just out in the community. 
And yeah. not everything has to be about being a physician because yep. I 100% agree. It starts to be weird when you're reading yeah. that and you're trying to like make that connection. You're like, okay, that's a reach, you know, and it, it just seems silly. Now, the ones that it is applicable, you know, if you're talking about it for your clinical and stuff, you do still want to reflect on that actual experience and let it be what it was and what you learned in that time. You don't have to always say, even if it's clinical, and I'm going to take this with me as a physician, and this is what got me there. We want you to reflect as you learn what you learned um, kind of leading up to this time point. So just... Sometimes let things be what they are and, yeah. and talk about and reflect on, on what they were at that time. And yeah. that shows growth. So Absolutely. Agreed. Thanks for this and, question, Michael. Lots yeah. of learning yeah. there. Great. And yeah. I mean, you know, it's pre-med students that, that get in, right? It's hard not to take their advice, right? They were successful, but there's so many things that, they're not privy to that we kind of look at in in balancing or evaluating students or just other things going on. So grain of salt, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. they they put together a polished application that that really put their best foot forward. So some somewhat helpful in a way, but not the end all be all works for everybody mm -hmm. kind of advice either. Yeah. yeah. And I would I just point out um, also we had a, a comment from um, this one right here, uh, and, and I like this a lot. I, I think one takeaway is that different AgCom members will think different things, but these services provide aggregate feedback which will give you the most value overall. And I, I yep. like that comment a lot. That what we're mm -hmm. trying to say is in aggregate, this is kind of the position that we have and that it works, uh, there's gonna be particular committees or particular members of a committee who will have a different opinion or who are gonna look at it differently or whatever. And, uh, but we have to look at the sort of bigger picture. And so I like that, John, great comment. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's exactly what we're going for. Yep. We're well trying spoken. To you, trying to get you away from anecdotes and into big picture patterns. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, poor Amy Oscar. She's like, y'all put my comment up and then it went away. I didn't forget about you, friend. There <laughs> you go. We just, it took us a second, but we're back to you. <laughs> All right, Amy. Okay, I graduated last year with a GPA of a 3.59. I had two C minuses on my prereqs. My advisor told me that I could retake them at a city college after graduation. Will medical schools accept those grades? Yes, they'll accept them. Um, but. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, you know, one of the, my concerns here is I, I don't know what city college means. Yeah. If city college is a community college, I don't recommend that. Okay. Um, in other words, you, you got a C minus on a couple of prerequisites or whatever at your university. Now you're going to a community college to retake those. Even if you made an A in those, there are going to be some admissions committee members, perhaps some admissions officers who are going to think, well, you didn't do well at a uh, competitive, uh, uh, maybe potentially, not necessarily, potentially more difficult environment. And you go, then you backtrack to community college level to retake those. Now, are they acceptable? Yes. Is it optimal? 
probably maybe not yeah and we're yeah. we're just trying to provide some transparency here right yeah. Is, yeah. is that fair or right that could be debated um right. but it's it's something that you would probably fairly frequently come up against as as an opinion and another thing just to kind of add in is to think about what helps build your foundation these courses are rigorous um, you know, sometimes on purpose more rigorous than others, but but this is foundational kind of core knowledge that you're going to build upon in schools. So taking it somewhere where, you know, maybe it's faster paced, maybe it's not quite as challenging, is not really a service to you. Now, mm -hmm. the city college could be right at the level of the four-year institution, so we're not trying to to steer you away from that, but you need to think about what the course will provide to you because it's not just about the A. The A mm -hmm. indicates an understanding and a retention of the material, which is important to med schools because it is built upon and you go at a very fast pace. And so just taking it somewhere else isn't necessarily going to give them the indication to remove that red flag and may not help you since you're going to need this material on the MCAT. So you should look for something that challenges you, that that is very difficult, but utilize maybe the resources, the learning center, tutors, office hours, supplemental courses that help you with it, because you're going to need this material not only on the MCAT, but also in med school, and you you can never really forget it, because um, it's it's going to be something that, that is continued to be built upon for the rest of your professional life. And so... Yes, you could do that. It may be more affordable. And so sometimes that is the only option, but try to make the most of that course. It's not just about the A, it's about learning and retaining that material, making sure you understand it. So wherever you need to take that um, to really challenge yourself to get the most material, I would say go with that option. Agreed. Andrew B, I'm TMDSAS, so we won't let Scott answer for this one, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Writing, waiting for match day. Question is, if I don't get in, should I continue shadowing if I already have a good amount of hours? I work full-time currently, so schedule something is tough. Um. I guess I'm going to answer this question. You're up. So, Andrew, you know, so the question is really if you if you don't match on match day and uh, should you continue doing what you're doing? And the, the question really here m more so is, you know, you said you have a good, good amount of hours in, 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 sh in shadowing. The key about shadowing, I think, is that it's very passive most of the time. Uh, sometimes you get some clinical contact in there, but it's Are we losing that, him again? I think so, yeah. That, I, was, I couldn't tell if that was me or him. Hey, Scott, don't know if you can hear us, but we're, you're cutting out. Yeah. Do you have your HD video Sorry. on so we can see you in, in high def? Maybe just 
put it to a lower setting. No, it's all the same. So basically, if if you're packed full for your schedule and it's difficult for you to continue to do the shadowing, I would say that's not that important, it's, especially if you've got a good amount of shadowing hours already and you, you're, you're able to reflect on those hours and stuff like that, then I would say, you know, full-time job, uh, you know, you, you might look for some clinical hours in addition, but otherwise I think you're, you know, you'd be okay not to shadow anymore. Well, and, and just identifying what it may be that mm -hmm. is keeping you from matching. Mm -hmm. um, Cause obviously, you know, you did an interview, you had an application that they felt was competitive and gave them some good information. And so yeah. maybe what would it be that, that kept you from matching or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of some self-reflection there if it yeah. was, you know, lack of clinical or hands-on experience or something like that, that may be something that they would have identified ahead of the interview, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but not necessarily. So mm -hmm. if you need to schedule time with one of us, we can dig sure. in <laughs> to the application. If, if you want us to try to see if we can identify some high yield areas to focus on, um, to kind of direct your time, especially if it's limited in your schedule, we could definitely yeah. do that. We do it all the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I would say, I would say, Andrew, if you want to uh, email me uh, at scott at mapped.com, scott at mapped.com, uh, then you can, then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to ask some additional questions and we, we can have a little bit of a conversation. Yeah. But waiting on match is a good thing. Yep. Positive thoughts. Yeah. Positive thoughts from us. Yes. In in that for you too. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we should probably wrap up there. Um, so as Courtney was just alluding, um, we do have one-on-one -on -one advising with both Courtney and Scott, as well as mm -hmm. other team members. Um, both of them are getting pretty close to full for full hourly application cycle, but lots of short-term things. So if you just want mm -hmm. to book half an hour with them, you can do that. Basically anything and everything we offer, you can find from medicalschoolhq.net. So that's the easy place to start. Uh, application review is there. Um, you can you can do half an hour of strategy, of school lists, of hey, I, I, a few people had written in to say they were worried about the GPA trends. Any and all of those conversations, sometimes half an hour with an advisor will clear up a world of concerns. Um, and that is obviously a paid service, but I do also want to remind you guys that if you go to premedworkshop.com, uh, we're holding free pre-med workshops now about twice a month. Um, we just did a personal statement, one about the seed, which is like that first moment of getting into healthcare. This mm -hmm. week we're focusing on watering events. So that's like the, the additional uh, experiences that confirm your desire. And these are live workshops. These are not lectures. You sign up, you get to submit us some paragraphs and we will do anonymous group reviews. So you can get mm -hmm. feedback without your essay being outed. So it's an amazing free service to take advantage of. Highly recommend you go, go to premedworkshop.com and check out what's there. Yeah. We get to offer a lot of free stuff, which is awesome, like this. But yeah, for those granular details and you want feedback to you specifically, um, where, where we're, we do a screen share with your application, we parse through the whole thing, we talk about your timing, your secondaries, um, we look through your narratives and stuff like that, you may think that 30 minutes isn't a lot. It isn't, but 
we can move through that material. If you have it up and available, we can move through that material just because we've looked at thousands of applications and kind of, you know, give our, our honest feedback. It could be that you are perfectly qualified. It's just the cycle, or there could be something fairly easily identifiable that would at least help you or could have been a factor in, in how the cycle went down and having that insight. We love to share it. And I think that's probably why a lot of us joined. <laughs> this is to be able to get out on the front end before we're having to tell you no to help guide you in what you can do to strengthen the application. So hopefully this session was informative and you guys enjoyed it. We will see you again next week and we'll see you at our workshops and we'll see you in our academy where we do group advising. We'll see you in our one-on-ones, in our map chat, in the mapped app and everywhere else podcasts we're we're taking over on all platforms so <laughs> have have a wonderful weekend happy valentine's day late to everyone we know that sometimes this can be a challenging time especially for pre-meds since you guys are so busy and sometimes social life is a bit neglected so we are here for you we support you good luck this week have a wonderful week we'll see you next week this is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.